This episode of The Tome is brought to you by Skull Splitter Dice. Go to SkullSplitterDice.com slash Show, all lowercase, and get 15% off great dice. And by the listeners like you, thanks for using our affiliate links to shop at Amazon and DMs Guild at thetomeshow.com or for supporting us as patrons at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Welcome to Fit for D&D, the Tome Show's fitness show for technically for June 2020, although we're getting at it, uh, the recording a little bit late for anybody who's watching the video. Uh, this is a monthly check-in sort of inspired by the D&D fitness hashtag that, that's been going around for a while. Tracy, Sam, and I sort of check in on, on our fitness journey, talk about how, how we're doing towards our goals, and then dig into some topic or interview or whatever we decide to do that might be helpful to us. This week we are discussing the last half of the book, The Obesity Code. Uh, did I mention that Tracy and Sam are here? Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. And also, we have our, our first guest for the second time. Does that, that make sense? Uh, <laughs> David Nett is here all the way from the West Coast. Hey, team. How are you doing, David? Everything's okay. It's much earlier here. I get to have an evening after this, so uh, uh, unlike you guys. Yeah, that's true. We... Uh, we record and then, uh, I, well, at least I can't speak for the other two, but I record and then go to bed. I assume you just immediately fall asleep and we're done. That's pretty, the... pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> um, Do we have to wait till we're done, though? I mean, that's <laughs> <laughs> I feel like people who have kids, that's when I don't, when I'm not seeing them, they're either caring for their kids, especially right now, or, or trying to sleep somewhere, somewhere secret, somewhere safe. As a, a long-time teacher, um, I generally assume that if I am not being observed, I don't exist. That's how, that's how <laughs> students think yes, of teachers, I, right? it's, it's a little-known fact that when the students leave the room, the last student leaves the room, we freeze in place. We're in frozen <laughs> stasis, and we stay there until they come back into the room in the next class. <laughs> Perfect. That's about how it works, right? Yeah. So uh, Alpha Stream is is in the chat, and he said that uh, that's Teos Abadia. Yeah. Abadia. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Teos, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Said hello, all. <laughs> I took a walk and a bike ride today so I could come here. Cost of admission. People. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I hope so. I hope I'm in, we're inspiring ourselves. I know that's uh, that worked out for me fairly. That that has worked out for me fairly well so far. Um, should we talk about uh, how we're doing on on our goals and then get into the the book, or do you want to go vice versa? Who is I, I think we did goals first and, and book second last time, so you know it's still early in the in the show. I can experiment. Does anybody have a preference? Um, I think we did book first actually last time. Did we? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know, whatever. <laughs> well, let's now, do, I, now I'm second guessing myself. Let's, let's do know. let's do goals first. Let's go through and see how everybody's doing on their goals. Um, and I'll go ahead and get the ball rolling since I'd already kind of started um, mentioning some things. So um, my goals for the last month were to not weigh in for two months, uh, per David's recommendation. And to try to get my, my slow, slow running up to a 16-minute mile for, for as many runs as I could handle. Um, 
And, and to some degree, I guess one could say that I have been successful on both counts. Um, there have been several times that I just sort of instinctually sort of was in the bathroom waiting for the shower to warm up and thinking, oh, maybe I'll go hop on the scale now real quick and, and check in. And then I remembered, oh, nah, nah, David said two months. <laughs> so uh, I won't be able to record in and tell you how my weight is doing until the next episode that we record at the end of July. Um, and my, my running has, uh, I did, uh, and, and I think y'all were, were mentioned in the tweet that I sent, um, but I did have a run where I hit, uh, less than a 16 minute mile. Um, it is the only, yeah, it is the only run that I've had, um, that was less than a 16 minute mile since last month, since we last chatted. Uh, I'm going to take it as a, as a victory, but, but, uh, you know, uh, a mitigated victory, if you will. Um, that feels like you hit the goal. Your goal was to get below that 16 minute. You did that. Yeah. Um, the beginning of the next step. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So part of the the trick is that, um, and, and this has happened before where I've tried running, um, and eventually my my interest starts to wane, and my bo- the boredom for running sets in, and I kind of really desperately wish I could I could go to the gym a couple two or three times a week and run a couple times a week and call that uh, good, and just to break it up a little bit, and that's not an option at the moment. Uh, and honestly, I, I've gone from three days a week running, uh, and the last few weeks for different reasons each week. Um, but I have to assume that part of it is motivation. I've gone down to two times a week, uh, in terms of running. I'm sure like there's other reasons, but I'm sure if the motivation wasn't a thing, I could have like, I could have prioritized it and made it happen. Um, but I didn't. Uh, and honestly, there's been days like today where it's like, I just really wasn't feeling it. I didn't want to go out and run. Um, but I, my, my youngest son, uh, has been running with me sometimes and he was asking if we were going to go and I knew that we were going to be chatting about it, uh, tonight. Uh, and so I made it a point to go out and run, uh, to make sure that I, I keep getting in my minimum two times a week. Um, because one and this is this is positive for for the show anyway, right? Part of I think the goal that we talked about when we started this whole thing was that hopefully it would motivate us to to make good choices, uh, and and I think that worked, right? I was I I did not want to make good choices today, but I did because I knew I'd have to talk to you all about it. So, there, so that, there's there's something to be said for accountability. It's it, I mean there's a it's always a fine line in the industry. The fitness industry has run a lot on shame and guilt and you know we talked about that you know, previously i think but but there's there's a difference between shame and guilt and and accountability having you know holding yourself accountable or having friends or circumstances that hold you accountable and it's the the point of accountability is to to help you were talking about motivation to help motivate you toward the success of your goals if you want to to celebrate the successes as you get them even if they're small and you know if you've got partners or some way to hold yourself accountable if that's what it needs to motivate you there's nothing wrong with that that's that can be very positive as long as as long as you're not you know falling into the so the the shame spiral which i think you know i think we can probably all agree is less healthy for you overall even if you if it gets you out on the road what it does to your mental state and your body in the long term is is not worth it 
So that's been my month. Uh, and th- thank you for the, the, the words of encouragement there. Um, who wants to talk about their, their, their goals for the last month uh, now? Any volunteers? Let's let, let's let David go. Um, yeah, I can say I, my, my primary thing we talked about last time is I'm, I'm working on uh, cutting, uh, uh, not sugar entirely, but excess sugar out of my diet. I am a, I have a bad sweet tooth, bad is not the wrong word, I'm a serious sweet tooth. I'm kind of a candy junkie. And in this times when I think we're all finding the, the whatever way we can to comfort ourselves, I had um, ratcheted my sugar, my candy intake, uh, candy and cookies and donuts and, and those kinds of things to a, a catastrophic uh, level for myself. So, and, and my doctor agreed after seeing my blood work. And so I had been continuing to remove uh, uh, as much of that from my diet as I could. And I'm, I'm doing pretty well with that. I still, uh, it's important. I have found it important in my fitness journey not to deny myself anything that creates a bad, a bad spiral. But uh, I have brought the candy and donut intake down to, I think, a very manageable level. And we'll see next month with my blood work what that, uh, if that's helped. Um, but that's, that's gone pretty well. My uh, weekly workouts have been okay. I am at an advantage from that. Obviously, I own a gym, and though we're not open because it's not safe, um, my office is next to a gym. So uh, it is very easy for me, even when I'm feeling unmotivated, to walk over and crank out a little bit of something. So, um, so I've been consistent there, but the sugar has been uh, – I feel good about it. I feel good about where I am in the progress. I don't even remember what I – it seems so long ago, a month. <laughs> It does, right? <laughs> this, this this month has been several years, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I think it was mostly around again the, like the blood sugar and increasing my activity. Uh, I honestly didn't test as much, so the big thing was I had gone to my parents, which helped in other ways because uh, we're now they're taking on some of the childcare duties uh, during the day, uh, which reduces my stress level, which is great and also gives me an opportunity to walk most days. So I'm going to take that as a big win. And uh, we're also, uh, you know, trying to get a house closer to them. So there's been a lot of additional stuff around there. But on the flip side, the way I'm helping them is by doing some of the yard work and stuff like that, because the main reason we're moving is they're getting older and have mobility issues. So uh, I've been getting a lot more uh, chore type exercises. (laughs) which counts so uh, you know scrubbing the floor and, and moving stuff around the yard and there's going to be even more of that in my future so uh so that's my check-in <laughs> that's great that's i mean and and i think the way that you're approaching the additional movement by incorporating it into into the natural rhythm of your life that's only going to be positive yeah and then and my hope is when we um get our place and move there that i'll be able to do even more of that because i can now have pl- We'll have almost a whole acre, so I can plant whatever oh, wow. I want and and stuff like that. So that'll be awesome. And then I did check my in with my weight, and I've I'm slight down, so I, I'll just call it a plateau. I don't overly, uh, I'm not overly picky there. But hey, you know, middle of pandemic, people want to chow down a lot. I was able to yeah. stay where I was. I'm still, I still think that's pretty awesome. Anything beyond survival's a win. That sounds really great to me. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, Sam. So how are you doing this month? Um, I'm doing okay. Uh, I, I'm, I'm still having some, um, I guess it would fall under the category of anxiety and depression. 
um, not not in a clinical sense. I've not been, uh, you know, diagnosed with any sort of clinical depression, but I I know my own moods, and I I am at the point where I have been in a in a relatively uh, bad mood <laughs> for the past you know few days uh, or week or so, um, and knowing that I don't like that. Um, and so I've tried to do things that are active in order to get myself out of that because I know that works for me. Um, but there is just a psychic oppression that is happening in the world right now. And, uh, it's very, it's difficult for me right now personally, because, um, things going on at my job are, are not, uh, really set in stone and there's a little bit of uncertainty there and I really don't like that. Um, but so that's the sort of that's the sort of background to to what's happening in in my life. But um, on the other hand, so I, I took uh, David and Jeff's suggestions to heart last time, which was don't weigh yourself. So I stopped weighing myself every day, and um, I'm not really watching my diet. But what I've started doing is I've started doing 14 hour fasts um, to work up to a 24 36 hour fasting regime. Um, and I just started that about a week and a half ago, and I can already tell that uh, my body deals with the food that I eat after the fast is over. My body deals with the food a little bit differently. Um, and I'm saying that in a neutral way because I, 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 it's, it's all new to me, so I'm sort of still trying to weigh how – like. Do I am I okay with that, and what do I think is going on, and and all that stuff? It's all brand new, so I'm kind of I'm kind of uh, just paying attention to that, and kind of keeping notes to myself about you know, well, here's what happened, you know, when I fasted for this long, and here's you know that that sort of thing. Um, but I have been sleeping better for the past two or three days, which, if you recall, was at, is actually my main goal, which is to improve my sleep overall for a more long term sort of outlook. Uh, and so that's a good thing. So I think I'm making progress. It's tiny baby steps, but you know, I'm okay with that. Absolutely. Slow progress is progress that lasts. Right. Exactly. Well, it's like, like Jeff, Jeff running the, the, you, you know, you hit the 16 minute mile one time, right. But you have to hit it one time before you can hit it two times and you have to hit it two times before you can hit it every time. Right. Like yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. kind of how I'm approaching it too. You know, like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing 14 hour fasts and, and, you know, when we talk about the book, we'll find out why maybe that's not exactly perfect, but you know, it, it is what it is. And I have to do that before I can do the 24. I know myself. And so that's, you know, so there you go. Can I ask you guys, uh, so you all talked about your goals and sort of where you are in, in relation to your goals objectively. Mm -hmm. um, I, and I'm just curious. I didn't hear any of you, of you talk about how you feel. And I'm just wondering, I mean, obviously external forces are causing situational depression like you were talking about, Sam. And we've all got heightened anxiety and Tracy getting ready to move and you've all got kids to manage. And, you know, talking about going back to school has got to be fraught for those of you who are teachers. You know, so uh, trying to correct for all of that may be hard, <laughs> but uh, does, does your – are your bodies feeling different under these kind of changes that you're making in your lives? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's okay if the answer is no, I just, I'm uh, curious. Uh, it, 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 it's diff, it's different, but not, but like I say, I can tell that it's different, but I'm not it because it's new. I'm not quite comfortable enough to say it feels really good yet. Sure. So yes, different, but you know, I, 
I'm still, I, I know that I, you know, this, the same thing happens to me when I start a workout regime. I feel, I know myself and I feel really good when I do a really good workout. Um, but if I ramp up to that too fast, I burn out real quick. And the the feel good, you know, the feel good feeling goes away and that makes me burn out. Right. Um, so I'm trying to be very slow, slow up the hill versus gung ho. Let me go all in a hundred percent. I'm going to change everything right now. I'm going to feel wonderful for two weeks and then I'm going to crash because I'm, you know, so, so yeah, I feel different, but I, I'm, I haven't really assessed it fully yet. I'll put it that way. Gotcha. Yeah, and in terms of um, like, and this is where like I appreciate the the encouraging words about like I hit that that sixteen minute mile mark, uh, but that was also like three weeks ago, and I was hoping that I was on a path of improvement. So like I I, I take that to heart. Like I, I I did accomplish that, and that is meaningful. It is a little disappointing that then that like this morning, uh, usually with like my first mile. Because uh, usually my runs are three-ish miles. Uh, usually the first mile, I, I'm under the 16-minute mark, and then the, it's it's the second and third where I start to to fall apart. Uh, this morning, my my first mile wasn't even under 16 minutes. I was just really having a hard time getting moving, and and that's been consistent. Like I haven't continued to progress, um, and I guess that's. Maybe that's part of where my motivation is. Maybe my motivation is is also feeding into that maybe I'm, I'm performing less well because I'm not as motivated to even be out there doing it um, I know that I've been having issues with my hip as well since I've been running more uh, so uh, you know, it's always a little slow getting going until that loosens up and what have you um, but otherwise like other I mean it, things feel fine you know, uh, you know uh, I'm sort of keeping on keeping on and, and trying to keep it all together and, and being really curious uh, how I'm going to keep all this going once the school year starts again um, and, and yeah. there's some anxiety for that as well because it's hard I was trying really hard to get to the gym three times a week and do my full-time job uh, and have two kids and do a podcast uh, uh, on all this you know uh, uh, so, so that's tough enough, but if I'm adding an hour of running a couple times a week on top of all of that, then I I'll, I'm a little anxious about how sustainable this is all going to be once I feel safe going back to the gym. My gym is open, uh, but we, they've allowed us to put a freeze on our account because we don't feel okay about the idea of going to the gym at this point. We're one of the counties in the state that still has significantly rising numbers, so um, it seems premature to have the gym open, so we decided not to to go back so um but yeah so so i feel about i don't know i don't know that i feel like i i feel like i'm definitely faster like i i feel like i'm a better runner even if i haven't gained a lot of speed i remember when i first started the program that, that i did at the beginning which was basically like a couch to 5k that zombies run has that they have their own 5k program yeah. and it starts off with like walk for two minutes and run for 15 seconds uh, and, and you slowly work your way up to, to running most of the time and I was really slow then and I was struggling to, to run 15 seconds every two minutes you know uh, so the fact that I go out for an hour long run and and I, I walk maybe I don't know 10 minutes of the whole run that that in general is a big victory to me you know so it's not a fast run, but it's running you know so but yeah, so that's where I'm at. Tracy, how do you feel about your situation? So, and this one's hard for me because 
part of the reason we ended up doing this was back in January was when I made a big change in terms of taking things serious, uh, taking things more seriously, I guess, you know, trying to address the blood sugar issues, uh, stuff like that. And I'd gotten a really good rhythm going and then March, <laughs> everything hits. Uh, and now there's potentially, you know, everyone's gonna, everyone ha- takes this from their point of view, but from my point of view, there's good, I need to make long-term structural changes given that I don't know how soon, you know, that my child can go back to school and we're still going to work both full-time jobs and, and things like that. So now it's more, instead of focusing the energy in this way, in the way that I had been in terms of figuring workouts and stuff like that, it's really more, how do I get these structural changes in so then I can create the new routine later? But it is kind of sad because I had, uh, and I usually don't like to talk about numbers only, so just... Uh, sure. In case there's anyone who's sensitive to it, I lost like 20 pounds from January to basically April. <laughs> uh, and now to have me on a plateau is like, I'm glad just to be on the plateau. I'm also, but it's, and it's hard to have, as, and probably we'll talk about this with the book too, right? Like it's hard to have that continuing downwards without any plateaus, which is fine uh, and everything. But it is a little uh, interesting. And I also have a, uh, going back to the shame thing, like I'm not doing it right now, but I do. I know I have a tendency to be like a perfectionist and an overachiever, and blah 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 blah. Uh, so I'm doing my best not to fall into that pattern too. Uh, which, Sam, you're talking about doing the 14-hour fast, and that's like where I was last time when we talked. Uh, and I have been progressing more to the 18 and 19-hour ones, and I felt that it's really helped me because I no longer have to worry. Uh, so much about uh, making sure I only eat the quote-unquote right things or <laughs> be controlling in that way. It's just like, hey, I can if I want a few potato chips, whatever. Like, I'm not gonna eat the whole bag, but I'm not also not gonna, you know, afterwards say uh, that I was bad or anything, any of those negative type things about it. Just and then if I don't make an 18-hour fast, no big deal. Next, There's another day. There's another opportunity the next day, uh, which I found uh, extremely helpful for me. So that's I know awesome. that's still not a lot about emotions, but it's a little bit more well, about it's, I mean, it's, it's probably emotion. It's probably how your body feels. It's probably how you feel. I mean, the reason I ask is, so I don't, I don't want to, obviously I'm not your guys' coach. I don't want to pretend I'm anybody's coach. I don't know your, you know, everybody's detailed situations. I know you guys a little bit, but, but I, I found it interesting that there was a lot of objective talk about goals, but not a lot about how your body feels or how you emotionally feel or anything. And I think, especially in times like this, um, and I'm not a psychologist or anything, uh, but uh, I am somebody who suffers from chronic depression and I've had plenty of time in therapy. And uh, uh, one of the things that happens to us when we are in a a depressed state or a a high anxiety state, which have some of the same effects on our bodies or, you know, whether it's situational depression or whatever, is a little bit of of, of sort of numbness to to, uh, uh, the way we feel emotionally, physically, to to ourselves, uh, decreased attention to the response of our bodies and our hearts and our minds. Um, and, and I think, you know, dealing with objective stuff is a good way to continue your progress and stuff, but it's also important, I think, to continue to check in with yourself in other ways. Um, you may not lose a pound, but you might feel better. You may not be as fast as you want to be, but you might realize that your progress has been strong. You might be plateauing in, in your weight loss goals, but but you're, as you're saying, you're happy with the, a pla- in this circumstance, a plateau is a triumph, you know, it's uh, and so being, letting yourself examine in that way so that you can find uh, your personal successes 
And even if you have to force yourself to celebrate them a little bit, you know, a, a smile is still a smile and it still releases, you know, it still changes your body in certain ways. And I think it helps us push through, especially when the, you know, the world is on fire, which, you know, uh, which is what's happening right now. Yeah. So because it's even amazing in terms of it's like, like there's obviously like the changes in uh, work from home and responsibilities and stuff like that. But it's even as mundane. Like, so I really enjoy eating like a lower carb, uh, high vegetable, some fruit diet. Uh, but right now, a lot of that is predicated on plentiful fresh fruits and vegetables, which our stores still have a lot. But that stuff, I've also bought lettuce and how to go bad within a few days so uh and so those are sorts of things that are like just it's hard to to keep it feels like we're constantly um pivoting <laughs> to deal yeah. with the, everything that's happening so uh so yeah <laughs> and when you're working through the executive dysfunction of depression every task every obstacle is twice as tall as it was previously and and that's a very real feeling when you're when you're dealing again whether it's situational or chronic that is a real thing. The, the 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 obstacles put in your path become more difficult to overcome, and they and they, which just means they require a lot more energy, a lot more emotional energy, a lot more physical energy. Well, and so this is this brings me to something I wanted to say to you, David, because I noticed that after Jeff talked, you gave him a little pep talk, and after <laughs> I talked, you gave me a little pep talk, and after Tracy <laughs> talked, you gave. But no, none of us gave you a pep talk. So I want I want to say something to you. <laughs> what I want to say to you is you downplayed the fact that you could walk next door because your office is next to the gym that you could walk next door and work out. So you kind of said, oh, you know, it's not that big a deal. Bull dude, it is a big deal. Because the fact of the matter is, even though it's right next door, there's you have to use your own motivation to get over there and do it, regardless of how far away it is or the fact that you're in a position that you can actually use the gym, unlike Jeff. Like, that's a, that's a separate thing. You still had to move your feet over to the gym and work out. So don't downplay that. That is big kudos to you because that's awesome. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. That's a, a student observation and I appreciate that. That's Thank you. And you asked each of us uh, sort of how we felt. So, so why don't you take a turn as well? How do you, after having uh, successfully reduced your sort of sweets intake, how do you, how do you feel? Uh, how, do, how does your body feel? How do you feel? My body's feeling, feeling I, I feel better. Um, I, I, like, as I said, I had, um, uh, uh, there's so many negative connotations around this, but I had, because of how I comfort myself, I had put myself into a, a bad place medically. And, uh, uh, and I can tell the difference, how my body feels in the reduction of sugar and stuff. I have found an interesting thing too. I, I, I've become over the last few years, pretty good at listening to my body. Um, when I listen, I can, I, I feel it. Um, and listening to my body again over the past couple of months as I have been, um, I have learned, uh, I have, uh, my body has changed how it responds to some of the foods that I love. Part of it's aging. I just turned 47. Um, part of it is life and circumstance, but, uh, uh, I, I feel generally better, but I have found that I can't eat a whole bunch of, um, bread or have drink a beer or have anything with a lot of weed in it after about six o'clock at night anymore. And that's a discovery I have made or I can do it. I just have uh, a rough time sleeping and my body feels gross. So, um, I feel better from the, from reducing the sugar, and I've also started reducing. Um, I, I still eat a fair amount of carbohydrates. Um, I do a lot of work, and I need a lot of fuel. And I think as we talk about the book, maybe we'll talk about some of this. But uh, but I don't eat a lot of uh, wheat after about six o'clock, just because my body 
has decided to tell me to know not to do that. And so, uh, so I feel better as a result of that too. But thank you for asking. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think uh, we've, we've, several of us have sort of talked around topics that, that uh, are personal, but related to things that we've read in the second half of the book. The first half of the book was really just sort of laying the foundation of some concepts uh, and, and pulling some, some data and looking at some research. And we talked a little bit last, uh, a month ago that, that he does a little bit of cherry picking. He has a very specific lens because, because his, um, focus is, is, has been with his experience with diabetics. Um, and so, uh, insulin is, is, uh, a particular villain in his story, um, because of, of that experience. Uh, we talked about a little bit about how there's, there's a little bit of hypocrisy in some of what he does because he he um, he sort of raked uh, other researchers uh, over the coals for oversimplifying things, uh, and then he go, turns around and does very takes a very similar approach, and, and yet it's very simple. It's all about this one thing, and 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 I guess um, and and I took note of that as I was uh, listening to the second half of the book for this recording and it's tricky because i mean he does simplify it to the degree that he talks about the the major culprit being more hormonal um and he he over and over again talks about how it's not just any one hormone or any one thing in your body that's causing uh, obesity but like every time he he goes into an example, it's always insulin, right? He kind of mentions cortisol every now and then, but it's it ninety eight percent about insulin uh, in his descriptions of things and, and his discussion of things, even though he's outright admitting that that that's a overly simplified perspective on on the problem of obesity. Does that, that sound fair? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I saw, I think, a little less of that in the second half than the first half. But yes, I, I agree. But I think it's also in the reading of it, especially after our discussion last time and, and the things that Sam was talking to us about, about hormones, it was easy for me to reread the second half and uh, understand that he he's writing mostly about controlling insulin because he has what he believes are answers there. Um, I think in the other places and in the more the greater complexities um, – He's he's less specific about um, solutions or help or you know anything like that, and so I think he feels like he's got an answer to the insulin problem, whether that's true or not, or what he perceives to be the problem. Whether that's true or not, right, we can certainly discuss. But I but I think that's mostly why he keeps coming back to it is the structure of the book. It's, I, we talked about it a little bit last time, I think, but lots of books like this, and this one's definitely it. This is really uh, he's really got five simple things to say, and he breaks down those five simple things in the second half. Um, and then he's trying to blow it out to 300 pages for the purpose of publishing. <laughs> and I think a lot of it is that that's the problem. Yeah, and no, I think I think you're right. And I think um, some of that is also like as an academic, like I, I see an academic approach to his analysis and his writing that that it almost suffers from. Right. Because he's not writing to academics, but he's done the academic work, and, I, and, and you know, Sam can speak to his experience. I've only had my experience uh, in terms of getting a PhD, but I was told many times through my through my doctoral program, 
Uh, I was told many times through my doctoral program that like my writing was too, I don't know, if conciliatory is the right word. Like I softened it too much and I, and I kept getting the, the message like, no, you need to make bold statements. Like you found the solution because that's how you get published and that's how you get noticed. And it's like, yeah, but like, that's not the way the world should work. Like we should all be willing to recognize that I don't necessarily have the answers, but here's some things I'm thinking about, you know, and be okay with that. Uh, but I can see that in, in his writing a lot of times too. And it's weird because the writing style is such that I feel like most of the time he's writing to a more general audience, but he's still taking that approach of, I need to make bold statements uh, you know, with, with big conclusions and, and get people's attention. Uh, and that sometimes hurts the message, I think. On the bold statements, one thing I found interesting, though, is that it doesn't feel as bold as some of these, like, self-help mm. type books might be. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's where Jeff's saying it's an academic boldness mm-hmm. versus a pure self-help perspective boldness, mm-hmm. right? There is a very different writing style there. For, for me, academically, so the, it, it's funny, Jeff, that you mentioned that because there is that aspect to hard science academic writing as well. You want to be able to say in your abstract, here's the conclusion we come to based on this data that we gathered. And you have to be very specific about your statement that you're making whether it's bold or not is up for question, but you're saying here's the conclusion because of this data. But then it's expected in the conclusion part of the paper that you wrote that you're, you know, in the discussion part, you're actually saying, well, here's our conclusion uh, based on this data. And here's why we feel like these other 20 studies support that and why we interpreted that data that way, because it also is supported by this other type of interpretation and this other type of theoretical analysis and all that stuff, you have to support it. So don't take Jeff wrong, anybody listening who doesn't know about it. He's not saying that you're just making up stuff and blowing a lot of smoke. Right. You, you're you making a bold statement based on data, and then you have to back it up. And the difference between that, like a scientific paper I published, versus what this book is, is this book can cite things and nobody is most okay i am but most other people are not <laughs> reading it and saying is that what that original study really says that he's citing right is that which is what happens when you go through a phd is yeah you're citing that and then your advisor and the rest of your committee and all the other grad students in your lab and your department go is that what that paper really says or did you misinterpret that and they make they force you to go make sure that you are doing that correctly i'm not saying this guy didn't have that experience or didn't have people that tried to hem him in and make sure that everything he said was a valid interpretation. I'm not, I'm not trying to say he's lying, but it's a very different style when you're writing to turn that academic work into a self-help book versus turning it into an academic paper. Right. Um, You know, he didn't publish this in the new England journal of medicine. He published it from a publisher. It goes in the self-help nutritional dietary section, right? And so that's why you can get to my bone that I want to pick today, which is the images that I, so I downloaded the supplemental stuff, which is all the graphs that he puts in the book. Now I've listened to the book on audiobook, and then it gives you the PDF of the images. And I just want to call your attention to say, for example, figure 10.1, 
figure 10.1 is not a scientific figure. It's just a freaking drawing. <laughs> There's no data in there. It doesn't tell you squat. Okay. Now I know that in the book, he cites some papers in that chapter. It's figure 10, one, cause it's in chapter 10. Right. But then figure 10, two, same damn thing. There's nothing. Figure 10, three, same thing. 10, 11, one, 12, one even has some colors, but there's actually no caption on that. There's a, a, some of the figures early on that don't even have a Y axis on a graph. Right. A figure 15, one. <laughs> Is is you know so there are some inconsistencies with the way that he's even choosing to present the data, mm-hmm. which is different from from having to change the writing so that it hits a certain audience, right? So there is some. This is this is why that those graphs are related to what we were talking about. There is some sort of putting things in the book to match what the point is. Sure. Right. And it's not that those things are a lie. It's just that they've chosen to put certain images and certain graphs in there to the exclusion of other things. And they've chosen to not be very specific in some of the graphs and some of the the purported data representation that is not – it doesn't give me a lot of scientific warm fuzzies. I'll put it that way. (laughs) It's not that it's not true. It's not that he's lying, you know, or obfuscating on purpose. He's trying to, it's one of those where there's a, you know, let's, let's simplify it so people can understand, but are you now misrepresenting? It it keeps coming back to that for me. And and I think a little bit in science, in in science type stuff too, it feels like there's a, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, please. Uh, It's, the, what you're trying to say is nothing. You have to prove something true, otherwise the, you're going to be neutral to saying you're not saying it's false. You're just going to say it's it's not necessarily true. So you kind of have to do that proof thing. Where sometimes people aren't used to being in an environment where, like, if I just make a statement and someone wants to challenge me on it, well, they have to prove I'm wrong rather than me having to prove that I'm true. And and you're saying it's more that he has to prove what he's saying is true, and he probably hasn't fully done that right but but see i'm a different audience right Right. so like like i like to say in biology what i tell my students is we don't prove anything we never ever prove anything what we do is we support our hypothesis or we don't support our hypothesis and then you can make a conclusion but you never get to say i proved this because you're not looking for proof right and it felt to me like the book is more in that hypothesis state in part because the research isn't great in that area anyway, right? Right. There's a lot of missing stuff. Yeah, and and I it's like and it's confusing sometimes in his language too because there are plenty of places and I actually had a line. It was funny you guys talking about academics. I actually wrote in my notes. I made some notes to talk today. Is that uh, there's a he is often his tone is often condescending to other people's views and other other theories. And I put put in a way that uh, he writes. Uh, in a, a condescending manner toward other theories as only an academic can, um, which, uh, uh, which I thought right. you guys were talking about this. And I think that's consistent with what we talked about as well. He's taking that approach where you kind of have to do that a little bit. Like there was, there was a moment that, that really stood out to me because he took the phrase, the common phrase that, that you hear sometimes in the fitness world, I think, that, that you have to choose the diet that works for you. And then he just That's what I was talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he he tore that apart, but he tore that apart 
by specifically misinterpreting what that means. Like, because, and, th and then he went on after tearing it apart to then explain, now let me tell you why all those diets don't work and how you need to choose this diet because it will work. But you're telling us to do the exact thing that that phrase is saying. You're trying to say there are some, here, here's a, some options that might work for you. And in the middle of that, he says all those diets work equally well. No, he yeah, no, no, absolutely. So which is it? Do they, none of them work or they all work equally well or what? Like, yeah. He, he explains the, the phrase, choose the diet that works for you as does that, you know, so, so that means that if the diet that works for me is eat a dozen donuts every day, and that's the diet I should follow. No, that's ridiculous. And I'm like, right. nobody has ever said that phrase and meant that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so why would you be making that argument other than he's being an academic trying to make a bold statement and nobody's checking. There's no peer review to double check and make sure, wait, does that actually reflect what people mean? No, it's just, yeah. Anyway, David, go ahead. Sorry. It's just sort of a larger pattern to me of, of, uh, uh, it, it, to me, it falls. It's all kind of a one piece. It's a lot of things that are correlation that he talks about, like causation. We talked about that last time, um, where there's clear correlation. But he just it, he's because of how he's uh, writing a book in what his he feels is colloquial language. He's treating it as 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 causation. He's uh, rejecting the, the letting the perfect be the enemy of the good all the time. He talks about the practicalities of some of the pieces, and then in the next page. We'll, we'll say the only way to do it is a more perfect way, you know, and it's a, and again, I think it's all a symptom of he's got, it feels like he's got five, I think, really constructive things to recommend in taking care of your body, but he's got to present it in such a way that will make money. And it's interesting to me, there's a place in the book, uh, he doesn't say this exactly, but uh, it, it's in the second half that I had remembered and I couldn't find the exact statement, but there are a couple things that might've been that and basically what he's saying is that the things that make you healthy may not be what makes the fitness industry money. Uh, and that's a big the, part of the reason our diets are what they are is, is actually helping us be healthy may not make money for the industries that are making money off of us. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the book suffers from some of the same of that mm -hmm. in that uh, a compassionate uh, uh, way of explaining to us the five things that he thinks we should try to make our lives better probably produces an 80 page book um, that may, it's not sensational enough to fly off the shelf. And it's only in pushing into hyperbole and a little bit of pseudoscience confusion and things like that, that he's able to get a publishable book. And that may be the fault of the publisher. That may be the fault of, you know, uh, 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 self-help books in general. That may be the fault of the, the marketplace. That may be the fault of, of how he understands self-help books should be. But, uh, but it's interesting that some of the exact same things that he's decrying throughout the book are, are the traps I think he's falling into as he explains to us. But again, I think he's got five pretty solid recommendations mm -hmm. in how you might make yourself feel better, how you might make your body healthier. Yeah, why don't you tell us what those five things are? Cause well, hold, hold on. Before, oh. we, before we move on, I just want to – I do want to clarify something. I, so that one of the reasons why he says that, that that phrase about choose the diet that is right for you, one of the things that he says – about why that's not a good way to go is actually a true example. What he says is, you know, we don't do that with any other disease. Diseases are multifactorial. They have multifactorial causes and, and, and multiple symptoms. And so when you have a disease, the doctor will try to treat every single piece of that. And so if you have a cancer, they're going to treat you with, with multiple different types of chemo or radiation therapy or whatever. If you have heart disease, they don't say... Uh, 
pick, you know, here's what could help with heart disease. Pick the one that you feel the best about and do it. No, the doctor says here are the, here are the things you should change to reduce the symptoms and the damage to your heart because you have heart disease. Now you've been diagnosed. And what he was trying to say was that's why it doesn't make sense for someone to say, hey, just pick the diet that works for you, which sounds like a great thing, except he's forgetting the fact that diet it has a lot to do with culture as well. Like diet and what we eat is extremely intertwined with culture. And it has a lot to do with the different things happening in society around you. Um, you know, I, everywhere I've ever worked, if somebody has a birthday, someone makes a freaking cake. Okay. Um, there's cookies and cakes and stuff all around all the time. That's a cultural thing, okay? Uh, at, when we have birthdays, you get presents and you get a cake. And, and you know, my mom used to say, well, what meal do you want for your birthday, right? So that's what you, like, that's a cultural thing. And there's something, you have to address that. You And that's what the whole sentence about, well, pick the diet that works for you. Like, the one that makes your body feel the best, the one that you can fit into your schedule, and the one that actually allows you to not refuse to participate in those cultural, social aspects of your life, mm -hmm. right? Now, I'm not saying you have to always eat a half a cake every time somebody has a birthday, but you have to be able to, within the confines of your life, choose a way that you're going to be able to adhere to the constraints of the diet. And that's what that phrase means. It doesn't mean that you would do that with heart disease. And when the doctor says, well, you should do these five things that you're going to decide, well, I'm not going to, all those don't work for me, but this one does. So that's all I'm going to do. Right. Like that. Well, but that's, it's, it's actually not a hundred percent true though. I mean, I, I have done a lot of work in the healthcare industry as a, as a designer and a software person and been around a lot of this stuff. And, and for most therapeutic drugs for non critical conditions for the conditions that you're not going to die, die from. Adherence is a, an enormous problem oh, sure. where even yeah. if the drugs work, adherence to the drug, uh, it may be difficult. It may be a financial right. problem. It may be a habit sure. problem. It may be that there's right. an unpleasant but, side effect. But, the, but, so but, it's, the, but the doctor for the heart disease specifically, that example, and I only say that because that's what he uses as the example in the book. Sure. The doctor will say, here are the things you need to do. The doctor doesn't say, pick the one you want to do or pick the one that works for you. That's his point. And there is a tiny kernel of truth to that under underlying everything. And and you're right. Yeah, you you don't always you're not always able to do things, especially if it's a voluntary treatment that you're undergoing. You can't always necessarily fit everything into your schedule. But I, I guess my whole point is that's kind of a false equivalency to compare how a doctor gives you advice based on heart disease to how a doctor gives you advice based on dieting. Like mm. Why are you even making those two things equal? That is a completely not equal situation to compare, except for the fact that it's got a doctor in both scenarios. Like, and I, and I think it, it. it's it's again some of that hyperbole that I was saying. And I think Tracy said earlier, it's hard to because of some of the language and stuff. It's hard to I don't know what you say. It's hard, it's hard to trust. It's hard to know where he's coming from. I, it, there's a, there's enough hyper, hyperbole buried in all of this that it makes me skeptical of of some of the, the, the more reasonable statements. And, and it makes me, and, and part of, because I am who I am, part of it, it makes me go do some research on my own, see if I can find supporting papers that he talks about. Not everybody's going to have that instinct, you know? Um, and I don't have the same tools that you guys have from an academic standpoint to find those things either. But, uh, 
you know, that that kind of hyperbole, I mean, it turns me off a little bit, but it also may be, as we were saying before, what sells books. So, you know. Yeah. And, the, and the other part of that, too, is that mo uh, going back to what type of doctor he is and who he's treating, for a lot of his patients, the making these changes would be akin to taking a particular... Well, in fact, it, he's often suggesting this in, in the stead of the commonly prescribed medications for diabetes and similar conditions, right? So this isn't, I'm picking, I'm changing my lifestyle because I, just for purely personal reasons it's usually to treat a, a particular condition um but i also agree with you that part of the reason i wanted to have a, the book club about this book is uh i read it and i was like some of this stuff feels right i don't know if it feels right because i want it to be right um in terms of you know my brother's a type 1 diabetic my parents are type 2 i have type 2 for a few years uh the cycle of medication for type 2s just never felt good to me uh, and the fact that they keep pushing and, and then I went through a pregnancy where they're like you have to take this insulin but also be incredibly it's going to likely cause weight gain but you can't gain any weight um, and stuff like that so nice. just trying to understand what is really going on and thus how can I really fix it without, um, particularly when you look at a lot of the type 2 medication uh, and even insulin itself, the prices have just been skyrocketing over the last few years. Hopefully, like thinking through, like, is there a different way we could approach this and what is causing this increase, if anything is? And then reading this and then because it was recommended to me and then seeing the hyperbole and particularly if you read the audiobook uh the the person reading it really digs into some of this hyperbole and yeah that's it's it <laughs> uh so it's just it i don't know i just wanted to be able to talk through them a little bit more with people who had a background on it. like we we've spent now two months discussing this book and largely being super critical uh, of this book. Uh, and, and, and I think that's We're nerds, really, yeah. and, and exactly. No, we are nerds. And that's, that's kind of the, the premise of the show. Right. Uh, but, but we were super, uh, and, and I think it's really fair to be super critical of the first half because it's just him laying the groundwork in this very sort of cherry picked hyperbolic sort of way. Right. Um, in the second half, that those problems continue to exist. But as David sort of mentions, he does lay out some fairly reasonable suggestions. And I think there's, I think there's things in this book. And, and I took, uh, I, you know, I listened to the, the different sort of suggestions that, that he made and sort of zoomed in on, I think, sort of three things. I'm like, I, I could probably do these things uh, without significant issue and see if that has an impact sort of on my health. Uh, but, but David, you said you, uh, you, that there were five. So why don't you run us through the five? There's, there's sort of five, five, five dietary things and a couple of behavior things. But I guess what I'd say is the first thing I want to say is I, I think um, when, when I, when we counsel people at Hero's Journey um, uh, and in other practices we've been part of, I, an important part of lifestyle change, and this would definitely be nutrition change. Like this is definitely lifestyle change. It affects, you know, it affects your life, how you shape your life, how you shop, how you spend your money, how you cook your food, how you. So that kind of change is, is difficult change, especially for adults, um, and not because of some deficiency in us, but because our lives are structured um, for lots of reasons. Kids 
uh, money, all of that, and changing fundamental pieces of that structure is hard. And so uh, the thing I would say is I, I think one of the things I appreciated about the book, the way it was structured, and I don't know how much it was hammered home um, uh, in the audio book, but it's structured sort of as here's a progression of things, not do these all at once, but rather do this first and then do this. And I really appreciated that because that's it's how we counsel as well. Making change one step at a time is how change lasts. Making you know wholesale change is how you, as, as Sam was saying, how you burn out. That's how you burn out on change. Um, uh, and so, um, I, I appreciated that. And so it's the steps were sort of starting with reducing your sugar intake. And I like the word reduce. I do not like how much time he spends on the idea of sugar toxicity, which drives me crazy. Um, sugar is not a toxic substance. Um, you know, heavy metals are a toxic substance. Sugar is not a toxic substance, but it is ubiquitous in our food because of a bunch of decisions made in our society in the eighties, it's, uh, we, we bring in a whole lot more of it than we need to and reducing it. Uh, uh, I think I'll say just as a side note, interestingly, the, the things like the five steps are pretty universal to, I think, uh, any solid fitness and health program, despite his protestation that his is a unique solution. Uh, but that aside, um, reducing your sugar, take great. Um, it's, it's easy to do in the beginning. I'm, I'm in sort of that beginning stage you know, not buying as much candy, not having it around, not eating candy or donuts or cookies or reducing that greatly. That's an easier thing. When you start having to like read labels and parse, you know, one can of spaghetti sauce versus another by a one gram sugar difference, I would argue you may be causing yourself more anxiety than you're actually helping yourself in reducing sugar when you get to that point. But uh, but reducing sugar, I think generally for most of us in our diets is a, is a really good first step. And spending the time to be actually successful and feel successful, feel changes in your body, and feel like you got this in lock is an important part of this too. It's not just one week reducing sugar and then moving on. It's, you know, I feel like I have reduced sugar. I also, when when we counsel people, we tell them not to worry about the sugar that's in fruit, um, in large part because you're getting so many good things out of fruit, vitamins and fiber and everything that uh, on balance, we would rather have you eating fruit than not. So, um, but that's again, not, not when we're counseling diabetic people necessarily, um, that's a different, you know, sort of, uh, uh, equation, but generally speaking, reducing your sugar intake is good. Um, the next step that he has after that is reducing refined grains. It's a little trickier. I think, uh, when you get into reducing refined grains, it's a much harder thing to do. A lot of our lives are built around bread. Fundamentally, that's sort of the, sort of the building blocks of why our civilization is shaped like it is for better or for worse. Um, so once you get into here, it starts to be, I think, trickier and harder. Um, and I think, the word reduce is important. Um, uh, there are certainly extreme diets where you're eliminating this stuff entirely, and and that works for some people and not for others, and it can be dangerous for some. But uh, reducing it, again, is probably something we can all do, assuming that we are of a socioeconomic status that allows us to get enough calories to sustain our bodies with with the reduction of, of, of um, refined grains. And he talks about that a little bit. I, you know, I think about um, the fact that cheap food is carbohydrate-laden food um, and super-processed food, and that's a reality of a lower socioeconomic status. But he does not really uh, make space in his theory to adjust that for people who, who can't afford to, uh, to, to not be taking in those extra calories because that's where they can afford to get them. So that's so why I say it starts to become a, a more complex situation uh, uh, when we get into this reduced refined grains. But re the reduced word, I think, is important to the level in which your lifestyle and your social stuff and the way your family eats and the way your culture eats allows. 
you know, if rice or rice is a better option than white bread, if you can, if you like, I, I eat white bread on a fairly regular basis, but in lower quantities, I have a nostalgic feeling for wonder bread. Um, and so I eat it, uh, because I like it and, but I eat it in lower quantities. Um, once we're beyond there, he says, moderate protein. Um, and I, I appreciate you guys. Let me talk through this because uh, I've got a bunch of notes in these steps here. Moderate protein is an interesting thing to say because he does talk about um, sort of a, some ratios in your diet. And he talks a lot about what we think of in the nutrition field a little bit as, as traditionally a more of a golden ratio of your diet, which is about a third of your uh, calories from carbohydrates, about a third from protein, about a third from fats. And we're, we're looking in a fitness world where people are doing a lot of activity and building their bodies in certain ways. Um, but, uh, but I, and he does say that 25 to 30% protein is about all you need. And I think that's true for most of us. Um, but I also want to point out that I don't think overeating protein is generally a problem, even though like keto diets are sort of in vogue in the margins of our society. And even though there's lots of talk about protein drinks and protein shakes and stuff, the reality is, um, if you're eating a 2000 calorie diet and I eat a much higher calorie diet than that. Um, I spend a lot more energy and on days, especially I work out, I'm eating 3000 or 3,500 calories, but a 2000 calorie diet, which is sort of the normal we're all used to dealing with, um, 33% protein is 150 grams of protein. Um, that's an enormous amount of protein. Um, I try to make sure I'm putting between 150 and 200 in my body a day, but I'm also trying to grow muscle and things and I'm getting older. So I need extra at certain points of the day and stuff. And I know that about my body and because of my training, but but on base, 150 grams of protein a day is like a pound and a half of hamburger a day. Um, and so I was just going to say, and I think you might be going there talking real quick about that cost thing, because I was doing that for a while from January to about March, April. Yeah, It's expensive and Super either you expensive. need a lot of uh, freezer space or you're constantly buying a ton at the grocery store. Sorry, I just yeah. thought. You- no, don't be sorry, it, it, because it's true. And I guess that's kind of my point is I don't. Uh, I don't know that moderate protein is something that needs to be in this stack because I don't think a large amount of Americans um, who this is aimed at are consuming more than, you know, that 150 grams of protein a day because, it, as you say, Tracy, it's hard to do. It's costly, even if you're doing protein shakes and stuff as well as meat products or if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, it's even harder. It's costly. It takes a lot of effort and thought to make sure you're putting that much protein in your body. Um it just I just don't think this is a the problem maybe that he thinks it is. Is it really just in there as his way of sort of um, trying to steer people away from like an Atkins diet or, or a keto style diet maybe. or something? The thing was the thing is is that protein my understanding from rem- my remembrance is that protein has compared to fat calories ha- still has that insulin response. It might not be quite the same as carbohydrate, but it's still pretty high up there. So the idea of the moderating the protein is to reduce the insulin response. Yeah. I, but again, I think, you know, when he, when he does call it out, he, he does say that. And then he says, you know, you should kind of top your ceiling at 25 to 30% of your calories. But I just wanted to point out again, that that's that ceiling that he posts in there. That's an enormous amount of protein. And so I don't think we're a lot of us, a lot of us anyway, are in danger of breaking that. And those of us that are, I mean, again, I'm eating more protein than that typically. We're typically, you're doing that, you're sort of forcing protein for specific purposes and, mm-hmm. and, and, and not, you know, general population. Um, and then beyond that, uh, increasing natural fats, which I think is a pretty common dietary advice, increasing, increasing good oils and omega-3 fatty acids and olive oils and things like that. Um, 
that that's a it seems a, a a reasonable thing to put in there. You know, for in cooking and stuff, you can cook with olive oil instead of a a, a you know a, a what is the sorry the I've lost my uh, ability to to remember what the corn oil um, substitutes are. Anyway, the cooking with natural oils, adding that to your diet, that seems reasonable. Shouldn't be a too hard a thing to do. And then the last one is is increasing fiber and vinegar. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit with the group, but increasing fiber, I think, is uh, one of the critical pieces of all of this and one of the hardest things um, societally for us to deal with because it, re- it relies upon eating a lot of eating whole grains and whole fruits and whole vegetables, which is harder, harder financially, which is harder time-wise, which is harder depending upon where you are in the country. I grew up in North Dakota where it's better now for fresh fruits and vegetables, but in the winter, you know, <laughs> please, it's just not happening. Um, and so it's, uh, it's, uh, I think it's great advice and most of us do not eat enough fiber. Um, and there's lots of things that fiber do for us in our body that we know. Um, but, it, but it was also interesting to me for it to be in this list for the reasons he put it in here. Um, and then I, I wanted to ask the group about the vinegar stuff because I don't have the academic background in this um, to deeply parse how he talks about vinegar, but he talks about vinegar as, as you know, curbing the insulin response um, uh, in general, but it's very clear that he says there's not uh, nobody or it's not well understood the mechanisms by which this happens. And that always makes me suspicious mm. when that becomes part of a diet book is this seems to work. We don't know why, which is a perfectly fine statement to say, but then to put it as part of your like primary recommendation stack is a strange was strange to me. Um, so I, as I recall, he even said um, with the, the vinegar thing, like he cited a study that said like it showed an impact, but it, even then it showed a relatively small, barely statistically significant impact. So, so he's, he's suggesting it, he's putting it on his list and he talks about it a lot, but he's also saying, uh, because it seems to help, although, not really that much, you know. <laughs> so, so it might not be a bad idea. I don't. I don't have a lot of exposure in the trainings that I've had to to, to vinegar as a solution. I've, I mean, I've seen it, you know, obviously in the holistic wellness world, but I, I don't. I, I don't know. Um, unlike the rest of the recommendations that were in his stack, the broad recommendations, um, which are all part of my training and part of I think almost anyone's nutrition training, if you take that, this was the one that was sort of out, uh, an outlier for me. Um, as far so, as the eating stuff. So there's a, there's, there is a study in 2004 that showed a, a at least statistically significant difference in insulin sensitivity if uh, vinegar was ingested with a high-carbohydrate meal. So if you, if, if you incorporate a vinegar component into a meal that has maybe higher than what you would normally have carbohydrate or no, what, what might be normal for you, carbohydrate load in that in that meal if you also now start ingesting vinegar or some vinegar component the vinegar helps increase supposedly insulin sensitivity so even if you're a type 2 diabetic because that's who the uh, patients in the study were over type 2 diabetics if you're a type 2 diabetic and you have insulin resistance ingesting vinegar so in some amount, I, I'd have to look up the actual. I looked it up at the one point, but ingesting vinegar with that meal somehow within you know the sixty minutes post post meal, you have a lower 
amount of insulin. Uh, you have an increased insulin sensitivity, so lowered insulin resistance, which means that even though you ate a high-carbohydrate meal, because your body is not responding with your, quote, typical insulin resistance as a type 2 diabetic, then you actually uh, didn't increase your blood glucose too much. You, you're not putting as much strain on your metabolic system as you would have if you had not ingested the vinegar with it. And the reason the study could be published is because the results were statistically significant. Now, how much of a difference does that make? I don't remember how long that study was, but like most dietary studies, they almost never go for more than a couple of months, right? So I don't, I don't know. I, I would have to actually look that paper up again. But I do I, – because I thought the same thing. Like what the heck does vinegar have to do with it? And because the actual mechanism is relatively unknown, I can't even answer that part of it. So, so what I'm really hearing, though, is that the British really stumbled on, on uh, uh, fortuitously, a really lucky thing with, with uh, fish and chips, right? Because they douse it in vinegar. Yeah. He points out the Mediterranean diet specifically because they eat a lot of oil and vinegar um, mm. as, right. as part of their, they, you know, dipping your bread in oil and vinegar seems like the right. exact solution that we were just talking about. And then the other two pieces that he has beyond those five steps are, are and I think we should talk about this broader because I know some of you are practicing this, are, are fasting. And then I really loved that there was a big piece on meditation later in the book uh, in one of the appendices. Um as a, a, a help with cortisol regulation and things. So, um, but I think he treats, though he gives these five steps, which are, I think, very reasonable and I think very achievable because they're of the words like reduce and moderate and increase, which are very, I think, gentle and, and uh, uh, usable terms in this state. He's got this really, I think, wonderful, um, once you, when you get to it, uh, advice about how to, how to eat. And, and then he talks about fasting, which I, which is a interesting, I think, uh, overall mechanism. But uh, and a lot of what it goes into his fasting, although there's some more extreme things that he talks about, um, a, a lot of it in the beginning of his conversation boils down to don't eat when you're not hungry, which is one of the hardest pieces of advice that we give in our world um, because it's hard for people to um, learn their bodies well enough to listen to their bodies well enough to know when you're actually hungry versus right. thirsty versus bored versus everything else. It's, it's all wrapped up together. So it's hard to learn those things, but ultimately eating when you're hungry is, is, is great advice. Um, whether you choose to practice, you know, some form of, of, uh, of fasting or not, um, that's great advice. Um, and it goes, but it goes both ways too. After you finish a crazy hard workout or Jeff, after you run your three miles, if your body tells you you're hungry, you should eat. E even if it's not, you know, specifically mealtime, um, after you've exerted yourself in that way, feeding yourself is the right thing to do. Um, in the same way that if you're not hungry, you shouldn't eat. Part of it too is we haven't talked too much about the kind of, like in some ways we have, but the overall narrative from my understanding of uh, having read the book um, is more about, we have been trained not to listen to our bodies. There has been this huge thing about snacking in particular. That's one of the ones he talks about uh, a lot um, and how we've been kind of pushed to uh, continuously eat throughout the day and um, and then his narrative is that what's happening with that is that our insulin levels go up and they stay up and then our body does, uh, creates this insulin resistance response because it would be devastating if we kept trying so insulin tries to get the calories in his narrative at least into the cells right keep stuffing them and then the cells fill up 
they don't need any more, but we still produce the insulin because it's in the blood sugar. Uh, and so insulin resistance crops up and then we create a whole lot of, I'll just call it hurt. Uh, and so, yeah. um, and that's like the narrative of the book. And it was, uh, Sam and I had been talking uh, between ourselves a, a, few, a week or so ago about it. And I had made the comment that it feels kind of like a, uh, uh, Marie Kondo, but for your body, because the reality is, like, our liver is storing a bunch of stuff, our cells have a bunch of stuff stored, there's nowhere to put our clothing, and so it's all over our bed, or on the floor, or everywhere else, and the book, whether or not it works, it, the narrative is trying to clean that stuff out, so that there's now room for the proper, the more natural pathways to happen for where calories are going to go, and stuff like that. And that that actually leads into his why he says fasting works, because the problem with insulin. So insulin resistance. So the, basically the way it works is remember when we talked about hormones last time, I said it goes through the blood, it gets released, it goes through the bloodstream and it, it acts on target cells. And the target cells have to have these little receptors on them that can attach to the insulin. And then they, it causes a change in the cell. And in this case, the change in the cell is the cell now takes in glucose and some sodium. And, and then we'll use or store that glucose, okay? And what happens is when there's insulin around all the time, the cell's getting overstimulated. And so it self-moderates by removing those receptors from the cell, from the outside of the cell. So now even though there's insulin there, the cell itself can't even get that message. It's like removing your front door. Well, if you don't have a front door, how is somebody going to knock on your front door or ring your doorbell? They can't. You're never going to hear their message. You're never going to see that there's somebody out there because nobody rang your doorbell, right? How do you know when to answer your phone? Because it rings. Well, if you turn off the ringer, guess what? Unless you're looking at your phone, you don't know that somebody tried to call you. That's, that's what insulin resistance is. The cell isn't able to see that there's a signal out there. So the body keeps pumping out insulin because you keep eating. And that was the problem with snacking, that you, it keeps your, in, your, ne your insulin never drops enough to stop the insulin resistance from occurring. Because what happens is if insulin drops enough, those cells will now say, oh, I'm underworked. I'm going to put some more receptors into the plasma membrane so that now when insulin's around, I can listen to it. Well, if you never, ever have a low amount of insulin, your cells will never go back to their sort of, quote, natural state of having the, quote, right amount. And no, I'm putting quotes because you remember what I said. This is way more complex than this, right? Th there's a lot more signaling going on. But let's pretend, because he does, <laughs> um, this way, if your insulin goes low enough because you're fasting, which is a natural response, right? The reason why I think his fasting theory is intriguing to me is because he uses an evolutionary argument. He says the human body is built to have different periods of fasting and feasting. And so you're okay surviving a fast and actually your body is more normal than it might have ever been in the modern world if you fast because that's how we survived all those millennia ago when it wasn't necessary, there were no supermarkets to go to. And if there was a big snowstorm, you were just in the cave for a week and you didn't eat because the root food ran out and you can't go out and hunt. And there's nothing out there anyway because they're all hiding in their caves too, right? So that, that argument on a very 
Fred Flintstone, you know, anthropologist anthropomorphic geek like you know ecology geek level really i mean look that's not that's not evolution right but the it <laughs> the, I, the idea appeals to evolution and and because i'm a biologist and i had to take a lot of evolution classes like i understand why he's framing that argument that way and it does make some weird sort of sense there's no proof of it <laughs> right but it makes sense intrinsically right there's only so many saber-toothed tigers to go hunt and kill. There's only so many buffalo, and they're not just standing there waiting for you to come hunt them when there's a snowstorm. So sometimes you're not going to have food. So in order for the human species to survive, at some point we had to have effects in us that allow us to survive fasting. And therefore, all that can be true. But now he takes the leap into the modern world and says, okay, now because of that, that means that right now, the best thing for you to do in your diet is fast periodically. And that will reset your whole, your whole system, your whole and, metabolism. And that's interesting. I know uh, – so uh, I think I may have mentioned once upon a time that my – I had this book in my Audible library because my wife read it years ago. And it sort of began her – a lot of her, uh, her own fitness journey. And she's gone to um, – she's not – keto to the point that she's counting carbs or whatever she's just cut all um added carbs and sugars from her diet entirely and that's that's working for her and that's great she's she's um she's lost a bunch of weight she feels better um and so that's that's going great for her and this book was sort of the beginning of of her walking onto that journey uh, and so, because, but because of that, I already had some exposure to the fasting thing, and she got me to try it for a while, and uh, and I maintained it for a while. And 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 the big issue for me is I really like bacon and eggs, and it's no better time in the day to eat it than breakfast, you know, in the, in the morning. Uh, but what I <laughs> and you have an academic life because you teach, so your morning is very early in the morning. It, it can be, yeah, absolutely. So, so I mean, and and that's going to fit into to what my goals I think are for the coming week is sort of what I'm taking out of uh, this this conversation and what I'm understanding from um, from the book. But before we talk about the goals, I did have one other question, uh, and it was kind of mentioned. Uh, David mentioned that one of the things that he suggests is is increasing fiber and how that's kind of a no-brainer. It's been commonly stated within the fitness world and nutrition world for a long time. And I've heard it over and over and over again over the years. Uh, and, and there are ways of increasing that fiber and the kinds of foods you can eat. And it's hard for us to get that in, in our natural diets and whatever. Uh, I'm curious um, what people think about uh, fiber supplements. So he had, he had, and I was a little surprised. He had explicitly at one point suggested, you know, and if necessary, maybe even and use Metamucil. Right? Um, it is impossible. I have discovered uh, to to buy Metamucil that is not loaded with sugar, with added sugars. <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> So I, I was no, a little, I, I was, I was, a, I was a little surprised at that suggestion, but I have discovered that there is a product called Benefiber, which is just the fiber with nothing else, and it still sort of dissolves in your. You know, I, I, I put a couple scoops in my um, or spoonfuls in my my morning tea, and it just sort of disappears. I don't even notice it's there. Um, but I'm curious what people think about that in terms of a way to increase fiber, uh, and if that is as effective as just you know eating more broccoli or whatever. 
I see no reason that it should be bad. It's just soluble fiber ground up so you can dissolve it in water and stuff. I guess I don't understand why it would be bad. You know, uh, uh, my wife is really good about it. She's a strength athlete, and, and so she does lots of things right and, and other things. You know, we all are, are human. But uh, one of the things that she does is she's really big on, good about her fiber. Her body feels better, and she's experienced this when she has the right amount of fiber. She uses uh, a psyllium husks um, that she mixes into – uh, you know, she buys like you buy would buy Metamucil and mix into her her uh, tea or whatever. Um, but I guess I don't know why why a supplement would be bad. Uh, you know, bad is a relative word. Who doesn't have morality? <laughs> I don't know why a sup- uh, supplement would be, would be would be not uh, not not uh, uh, appropriate for this. Uh, maybe unless, as you say, it's loaded with sugar and you're trying to keep that down. But when you say loaded with sugar, is it one gram or two? I mean, ultimately, is it enough sugar to be hurting you i you know i don't know i think it's sometimes when you get on the sugar train and especially when places that are calling it toxic and stuff you end up quibbling over a gram of sugar versus 20 grams of fiber and maybe that's a pretty good price i i don't i don't know how much there is but i know my wife is no added sugars so i look for that on on i look at you know you 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 talked about uh you know if you're if you're getting to the point that you're looking at the nutrition labels for for a gram of sugar here and there that maybe you're going too far Uh, i do that when i go grocery shopping for her right i I, when i buy pasta i don't look at the grams but I, i look at the ingredient list and if there's added sugar or sugar equivalents, that then I buy the other pasta sauce, right? Uh, well, and if she feels good uh, doing that, and she hasn't like ratcheted up her anxiety in the process, that's great. And right. It's a little bit what we talked about about weighing yourself. I have plenty of you know clients and people that I train and people that I know who who are the kind of nerd who a spreadsheet is the thing that brings them the most comfort, and weighing themselves every day actually brings them comfort because that's a kind of that's the response they have to it. To a lot of us, especially for battling our weight that brings us anxiety. And so that's why part of why I recommend not doing it every day. Um, if, if, if looking at added sugars, even a gram at a time, um, doesn't bring your wife anxiety and instead brings her a better feeling body, do that. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's when, it's when you trade, um, sugar for anxiety, uh, about, you know, and shame. That's when I worry that maybe you're not helping yourself as much. Well. Yep, that's fair. So, so I, oh, I, go ahead. I, well, wait, so I, I want to point out there is sugar free Metamucil. But have you looked at the list? Because when I found sugar-free Metamucil, it had fake sugar in it. Sugar-free Metamucil has maltodextrin in it, yeah. which is not fake sugar. It's, it is a polysaccharide. It's a natural sugar. So it is a carbohydrate, but it's not an added sugar. Okay, so that's where – see, this is where – labels this is why reading labels will make you crazy Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of things in there that are natural that that they don't count as added sugars because they are natural products or whatever but that are still carbohydrates and that depending on how they're absorbed will add to your glue your glucose index right whereas maltodextrin does not but it sounds like all heck like it would because it is a carbohydrate but because of the way it's absorbed in the small intestine, it doesn't it doesn't have the same effect as like a high load, you know, high glycemic, whatever. So so the thing is like the question is, do you want to go no sugar at all? Or are you going, well, I'm just paying attention to and making sure I don't like if it had sucralose in it, I'd say absolutely not, don't eat it, right? Like I said, this is why it drives you crazy because 
who knows what like it's it's impossible for most people to read a label and tell because there's also the oh no artificial sugars except then you read the label it's got like 12 artificial sugars in it it's just that they're not categorized art as artificial by the food chemical business because they made it to be based on an natural product so now they they call it it's not artificial it's natural but it's made in a lab just like anything else right so there's this whole you know there's a whole list of things in there that the food chemical industry they can create things call them natural when they actually were created in a lab the 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 good news is is that because uh of my wife asking me about it because of her uh dietary needs um i was able to find another equivalent product that had one ingredient on the list and it was just the fiber so uh it ends up sort of solving that problem and it's equivalent in price uh, you know uh, in usage and everything so so that worked out okay um in, in terms of all of that if you're looking for something too if you just if uh, psyllium husk is a good source of soluble fiber that's really inexpensive um, you can order it on wherever you would find food, or sometimes find it at the grocery store. But mostly, you probably have to order it. But uh, but that's a, that's a good alternative too. No sugar or anything. It's just literally psyllium husks. On the breakfast thing, when I I remember when I first read this book, and he was like, "You can skip breakfast and just start your day with a nice salad and salmon." I was like, "No way! I cannot do this." <laughs> uh, I love my egg scrambles. I put all of this quote unquote good stuff in it, and why would I ever change this? And then I did eventually start doing the fasting thing and I started with the uh, 14, 12 to 14 hours, which actually you can still eat three full meals if you want. Uh, a lot of the times with that, uh, you're just you know making sure you're not doing late night snacking, which for some people is, is a problem that they're trying to, to, to battle uh, for them. Um, and then uh, over time, I was just like, you know, maybe I don't need uh, that breakfast every day and that's another thing that he points out I don't know if he does it as much in this book as the I also read the diabetes code uh, that he produced later um, and the, the main thing with the intermittent fasting for him is you don't have to do the same schedule every day of the week um, so if you think like if it was something you ever wanted to try and you felt like five days of your bacon and eggs is great, but two days you could go without it. That's another way you could approach it or anyone else who's interested. Uh, and I found that flex that was the part where that flexibility where he wasn't just selling you a plan, a specific plan, mm -hmm. and then thus the binder you can buy and the, right, right. <laughs> the class online classes and seminars and stuff like that as much made me think that maybe this wasn't just a, wasn't meant to, uh, extract the most amount of money possible from me uh, and made me think well, through more of the stuff that he was offering. And the language is adaptive to your circumstances. I like that. He does talk about that, that in this book uh, as well. Um, and, and it's, it, to me, it's the same thing as the language of reduce and moderate and increase those. They are, they're adaptive words. They're not prescriptive. They're, you know, they're not telling you, you can't, uh, they're not telling you, you must, there and I, it's one of the things I really like about this book is it's encouraging you, despite saying that you know choosing the diet that works for you is stupid. He's actually encouraging you to choose the diet that works for you um, mm -hmm. by using these adaptive words that let you, like, as you say, Tracy, take take the take what you can fit into your life, take build a habit slowly. You know, really uh, take the concept as something useful and then apply it to your life as you may. 
that's uh, that's important, I think, and that, that's one of the things I like about it. And I think that because uh, because I have a response to that, but it kind of blends right into sort of my goals for the next month. So, and I think we're we're at like an hour and twenty two minutes long on the stream. <laughs> so it's probably time to start talking about our goals for the next month and, and wrapping things up at this point. Um, and, and I think in my mind, one of my goals for the next week isn't necessarily to too fast per se, but I liked the message of, especially in the morning for breakfast, don't eat unless or until you're hungry, right? Because we're so much in the habit of you wake up in the morning and you eat. Uh, And I have found, and then the other part of the other end of that is that that don't eat after dinner, right? So there's no snacking after dinner and there's no eating until you're hungry in the morning. And I've been doing this for a few days now, maybe a week or so. Uh, and it's it's like right now I feel kind of like I did last night. I'm actually hungry. I, I want to go have a snack, but I'm not going to because it's after dinner. But I also find that when I wake up in the morning, I'm not hungry. Uh, and I can, you know, I'll wake up at 7 in the morning and then I don't start feeling really hungry until like 9 or 10. And then I'll eat. Um, uh, and then, you know, and so I end up kind of, you know, I decided I'm going to start tracking the time a little bit just to see am i pulling off like a, a 14 hour fast or, or or more some days uh or not without even necessarily trying by just you know don't eat breakfast until i'm hungry and don't eat after dinner uh so that's that's one of my goals i'm going to try to get back more into meditation uh, i'm glad that you'd mentioned that david um that as part of the book i've been doing that with my with my kids uh through the summer but we've kind of slowed down and it's fallen off the the list uh, fairly regularly. So I'm going to try to get that in at like three times a week with them. Um, and then uh, continue my no weighing in and continue my running at least two to three times a week uh, is my is my goal at this point. So um, those are my goals for the next month. Uh, who, who wants to talk about theirs next? I can go next. Uh, my, my big step now is now that I feel confident in the reduction of my sugar intake, um, in the external sugars, I'm moving to artificial sweeteners, which uh, I consume an enormous amount of because I'm a diet coke junkie. Um, and so, uh, and I, again, I think reducing is the key word here. I'm not going to stop drinking diet coke because that's just craziness. Uh, but uh, I, I, uh, a couple of things for me is at first, I drink a lot of it, um, and my I have an excess of caffeine intake because of it, which is not great for my stomach, um, among other things. And, uh, and the artificial sweeteners are, are, I think, at this point, holding me back a little bit from changing my diet. They, my cravings remain. I'm just replacing them right now. I don't have the science in me to talk about the glycemic response uh, or the insulin response to artificial sweeteners. I only have what I've read in books and stuff, so I won't. And I've read lots of conflicting things, but I know I am better when I reduce that intake. So that's my next step is the artificial sweetener reduction. That's a big part of, uh, of me moving into a, a more balanced uh, nutrition for myself. Tracy, Sam? Tracy? Uh, I think I'm going to try to continue um, ramping back up my move goals for for most days. Uh, I don't think I'm at the point yet where I can commit to exercise minutes, like as in this is an exercise that I'm concentrating on uh, sort of thing, only because schedule is just particularly with trying to buy a house are a little erratic and long. (laughs) So I think just moving and getting it in throughout the day is mainly what I'm going to concentrate on. Uh, And because I'm going to be going back and forth uh, to New York and here, 
uh, even trying to concentrate on my uh, what I'm eating is a little harder because I'm not going to have my pantry uh, and I'm going to be limited. I'm the same with my parents, so I'm limited to what they have. So I think that's gonna it's going to be more of a let's just keep in the place that I am at for a while until after we buy the house and move. And then I can make uh, some of the changes I had previously made. I can reintroduce them again. All right, Sam, you're up. My main goal is to increase the fasting uh, time for the individual bouts of fasting and figure out what's the best amount for me. Um, And so that's going to be probably a month-long process because I'm going to have to try it for a week and then extend more for a week and then extend again. And then if it's too much, then I got to go back. You know what I mean? So it's a trial and error kind of thing because I don't want to make myself too tired. And I also, one of the, one of the complaints I have about the book and, and it's kind of a complaint, but it's a, it's a sort of collateral complaint. He's talking about eating and food this entire time, but he never addresses as far as I can remember. And maybe I didn't get to listen to like the last appendices portions. So maybe he did address this and I just don't, I didn't get there yet. I've got like an hour left. Um, He doesn't address anorexia or any other eating disorder at any point in time in this entire thing. But yet he's talking about fasting as a major component of what he's suggesting. And so I feel like I'm not saying he has to have five chapters on it, but just a couple of pages about, you know, how if you're a type of person who has had an eating disorder or you know you have other sort of chronic habit, habit disorders like OCD or, or, or even depression, uh, depending on how you manifest your symptoms, that could lead to you just taking your issues and pushing them into the food realm, and then you fast, and suddenly you fast and fast and fast, and you're anorexic. And there's other things there. I'm not trying to simplify it. It's a very complex illness, and it has a lot to do with body dysmorphia and things like that. But but there is a component there where some people are more susceptible to that than others. And I almost feel like he's a little flippant and breezy with his recommendation to fast it would have been nice um, for him to acknowledge sort of here are the kinds of people yes. that this advice may not work for and, and it didn't even have, i don't know that it would even have to be a couple pages but like a paragraph where he just says that maybe even in the introduction like hey i'm going to give you some advice and this might not work for you if this this applies to you, you know? well a, i a think a bigger what, acknowledgement would be nice yeah yeah what he would need to do what he would need to do is say these are real disorders this is not just a psychosomatic somebody thinks they're you know, whatever. These are real disorders. So therefore, just like any other medical issue, it's possible you might need to see a doctor and or therapist. If you start, if these things start, if you start losing control of how you manifest these suggestions in your life, right? I say, I have a whole section of my notes that we didn't get to because we didn't talk about this really till the end. And I saw we were running super long, but I have a whole, I'm with you, Sam, on this. I, I, I have a whole, um, whole, bunch of conversations I would like to have around fasting. Ultimately, maybe with this group would be great. Um, Not necessarily that they're bad or anything, but a discussion around it. I, I, like you, Sam, think that treating it as a a magic key has a potential danger. Um, It's super useful for a lot of people. There are lots of complications around it. Um, And I think a lot of it has to do with our relationship with food writ large, which is one of the things that my my wife, Christy, um, who's a nutrition trained as well as a, a strength coach and stuff, 
uh, likes to talk about a lot. So eventually, if we're ever able to come on as guests together, she may, um, or or she by herself, of course, uh, uh, she has lots to say about that too. But I think I think Sam, it's a really as we leave here, it's a really important point. I don't think we should see fasting as inherently dangerous, but as we talk about it, we must be conscious of what diet culture has done, especially to women in our society, but to everybody writ large for the past 40 years. We have the baggage of all of that whenever we're talking about how much you eat, how many calories you eat, uh, when you eat. Whenever we talk about that, we're carrying that baggage, and if we don't acknowledge that, that's dangerous. And that's a little bit why I'm kind of disappointed he never addressed it because he spends a lot of time on talking about how our thoughts in American society evolved, our thoughts about food evolved between the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. And now here we are today. And here's, you know, he talks a little bit about all these societal causes and blah, blah, blah. And he never addresses something that is a major problem for young women and some young men. It's not, it's not specific to one gender, although it does tend to, you know, manifest in one gender more than another. But you know, this, this, this is a societal problem, but it's also it's an addiction problem. And when you start talking about food as an addiction, it's different from smoking. Look, I smoked for 14 years, and I quit. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. But one of the things I could do is completely remove myself from cigarettes. I don't have to be in the presence of cigarettes. I don't have to have, have to buy a cigarette. I don't have to have a lighter on me at any time whatsoever. I don't have to do any of that. But food, if you're addicted to food or you're addicted to a pattern with your food – you can't just stop eating forever, and that itself is a problem if you stop eating forever, right? Like, the, So I feel like it's a big enough thing that he should have at least mentioned it as a medical doctor, none, you know. I mean, it just, so I just, I wanted to say that because I think that's a major important thing. And since fasting and insulin response is his main points, and yeah, he has those other five things about diets and you know and he makes a sort of flippant comment about oh moderation and everything is a stupid saying and then his five points are moderation in these things right because <laughs> his, his point is well not much you wouldn't say you should eat the same amount of donuts as broccoli that's why moderation in all things is a stupid saying but that's not how anybody ever means it so you know so. yeah it's it's one of those hyperbolic things again but then his five main points about what you eat are all about moderation right and then and then fasting and to be fair, he also says fast in moderation. He doesn't say everybody should go on a 30-day fast and that's going to solve all your problems. You're going to suddenly get skinny. He doesn't say that ever at any point. But he does say that fasting is an important component that you might want to think about incorporating into what you're doing. And to not address that major medical and, and psychological issue is, is a real giant hole for me. Like the other things that I've complained about – I can totally overlook those things because I understand this is a medically based self-help book and all that. But this is really tough for me to get to the end and not see anything about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that was a, a, a nice uh, and I think very important rant in the middle of the discussion of your goals. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Uh, but your goal is it's to, to stress relieving. Right? Absolutely, so absolutely. Yeah, it totally is. Yeah, so, and my cortisol level just went way down. There awesome. you go. Excellent. <laughs> uh, so, so I think that's a place where we're going to have to call it for this month. Uh, if you have questions, you can find the show on Facebook, uh, which right now uh, in the month of July is running a contest where you can win a bunch of cool dice. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. The show is at the Tome Show. 
You can also email the Tome Show at, at the Tome Show at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on Discord. The, ask us for that Discord link at any time. We have our own D&D fitness channel there where there's a lot of people there that sort of post uh, every day or two sort of what they're doing and, and how their, their journey is going. Uh, and so that's particularly relevant here. Can we shout out to uh, Lewis Sprinton who got a rowing machine or has a rowing machine and has just been like, He's been killing, killing it. it. Yeah, Lewis, Lewis uh, who you might know from the Tome Show News, as well as uh, Jay Sloan. Jay Dot, uh, yeah. They've been, they've been killing it, too. Yeah. They so, did the art for all the Tome Show art. Yeah, they did. And, yeah. and, and they're on um, uh, an episode of side, the first episode of SideQuest that hasn't come out yet. So um, that's a yeah. thing as well. So, uh, so yeah, anyway, uh, and, and maybe joining up with that Discord channel uh, sooner rather than later might be a good idea in case, say, August's contest was based on uh, our Discord channel and you could win some cool dice there. Uh, anyway, if you want to reach us... Oh, in, very subtle, Jeff. Yes, you know, yes. I, I try to be... Uh, <laughs> Having worked with uh, 12-year-olds for uh, much of my career, uh, that's where my level of subtlety is at. Um, <laughs> each of us can also be reached on Twitter. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. Tracy is... At Sarah Dark Magic with an H. There you go. Uh, Sam is... At DM Samuel, no spaces. And David? At David Net, two T's on the end, no spaces. Very good. Uh, and that's sort of where our fitness quest is right now. So please come and join along with us as we build up our geekiness and our health. I'm also lost.